What's up, church? How are you? You having a good day? Yeah? That's good. Uh, So wanted to let you know a couple things. Uh, Well, first, it's just one thing. Uh, Christmas Eve, it's coming up. Uh, David Reif and his team have been doing a lot of work around here, getting us ready for that uh, day. And so Christmas Eve, we're having two services, 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. want to make sure that you mark that on your calendar. Make sure you invite friends and family and be here for that. Uh, how many of you have never flown on an airplane? Okay, okay. Uh, so wanted to just give you the skinny on how that works. Uh, by the way, I uh, don't know what your reasonings are. Uh, maybe you've just been young and haven't had an opportunity. But uh, how many of us have flown on airplanes? That's a lot of those testimonies right there. <laughs> you survive, at least most of the time. Uh, and so uh, the way it works is, right, you, you go through security, this crazy stuff. You check in, go through security, get in your airplane, and then they arrive at the destination. And then you uh, wait for a little while, and you get your carry-on bag, and then you head out of the airport uh, or out of the airplane. They connect this either some steps down to the ground, or they have this little hallway that you walk right into the airport with, and then when you get to that point, what you start to look for and you make a beeline for is this thing called baggage claim. Okay, you find where it says on the sign baggage claim, where the arrow goes, and you go directly there. Now, if you have kids, this walk to baggage claim is an adventure. Okay, because most airports, you get out of the airplane and there are shiny stores lined up on the hallway, and you start to walk, and then they say, look, Daddy, I want that, and then I want that, and then I want that, and then so then you're trying to, like, focus, herding the cats toward baggage claim, right, and then you get there, and, and then you get there, and you have this dreadful wait where you stare at the baggage claim machine, and you wait for it to give you your bags, now, uh, I've, we've flown, uh, I've flown a number of times, but this past year we've flown a couple times to Phoenix. And, and depending on the airport, you either have a short walk to baggage claim, you have a long walk to baggage claim, or you sometimes even need to take a train to baggage claim. Okay? And so uh, at Phoenix, I was wondering, like, why is it so far away from where you get there, get to the airport, and get off the plane? Why is it so far of a walk to get to baggage claim? And now I think I know why. There was a New York Times article talking about a challenge that a Houston airport had. They were, uh, basically, people were getting off the plane, they were getting the baggage claim, and then they were having an over 10-minute wait for their bags. Now, 10 minutes, that's a long time if you're simply staring at a machine waiting for it to give you a gift of your own belongings, (laughs) right? You look around, you like, okay. You look around a little bit more, your mind is starting to get onto where you're going and you're getting frustrated and you're looking at it and you t- look, turn to your, you know, your friend next to you who you just met and you say, this is taking a long time. And then you keep looking. And so people started to complain, okay? So they started to complain about this over 10 minute wait. So the, the executives at this Houston airport, they decided, you know what, we'll try and do something about it. They hired more people. They tried to, to get their processes good and better, and they got it to where there was less than an eight-minute wait, and that's better than industry standards. You go to other airports, there was a longer wait, but they kept getting complaints, and so it wasn't working. So they came up with a different solution. What they decided to do was take baggage claim and move it to the furthest possible place in the airport, okay? So now that the people get off the plane, now they have a 10-minute walk to get the baggage claim, but guess what happens when you get the baggage claim? Your bags are there, 
And the complaint stopped. And that speaks a very powerful truth to us. What we do while we wait is important. You see, what they did was they, they kind of subverted everyone's expectation because we expect to walk to baggage claim, don't we? Those of us who have been in the plane, you expect to do that, right? You're not going to just teleport there. You have to walk. So they just made that walk longer. And people didn't care. They didn't care that they were walking because their time was being occupied. But they, they expected also to wait a little bit when they got the baggage claim. Well, they didn't have to wait anymore. So they were happy. Their, their problem was solved. And that brings up another thing. It's, not so, it's also it's important what you do while you wait, but it's also important of your expectations while you wait. If your expectations are good while you wait, then you can wait well. Think about it like this. You go to a restaurant, like you get your whole family together, and you're going to a restaurant, and it's dinner rush. The, the, rest, or the, the parking lot is full. You get in there, and you see that every table is occupied. And so you go up to the hostess. For me, I'm saying party of six. Uh, that's just my family. I don't even have any like, guests with me. right? I noticed this after we had the twins. Uh, tables at restaurants, they're designed for four people, not six. So they have to put tables together just to have us eat. Uh, so that's, that's fun. So I tell them six people, right? You go to this place, it's dinner rush. You, you, you tell them, hey, I want to eat. And then they say, okay, it's going to be a 30-minute wait. You look around, you see that all the tables are occupied, and you're like, okay, I can do that, 30 minutes. There's, there's a room full of people who are waiting. We're just sharing in our own demise, right? Misery loves com- company. So we go over there and we wait patiently and expectantly with our little buzzer in hand. But think about the same scenario, but we're going to change some details. You go to that same restaurant. It's not dinner rush. There, there are barely any cars in the parking lot. And you walk in, and the tables, there are open. Like it is, you just walk in, and you should be able to sit down. You tell them, hey, I'm here. Oh, how many? Six. Cool. It's going to be a minute. And you say, okay, I can wait a minute. Right? You check your watch. 30 seconds go by. You're like, okay, this is still reasonable. A minute goes by. Now you're starting to get a little fidgety. Where did she go? Where did the hostess go? And by 10 minutes go past, again, 30-minute wait at the other place, 10-minute wait here, you're left. You're gone, right? Because your expectation was that you'd be able to get in right away. So expectations, they can make a difference in how we wait and how we wait. So (laughs) with that, our expectations in the middle of waiting can make all the difference. We've been start, we started last week a series called Advent, When Hope Invaded the World. Because what we're asking God to do in this series, this is what I'm encouraging you to ask God in the middle of this, is prepare my heart for your coming. Prepare my heart. There are things that I need you to do in me so that I am ready for your coming. And so if you missed last week, you can go to our website at fccfamily.com and you can uh, catch up. On that, we talked about hope. Today we're talking about peace. And so in the middle of this series, um, we're going to be in Luke 1 today. So if you have a Bible or a way to access Scripture, version. if you downloaded that last week, talk to somebody out there. They love it. Uh, so a little plug for that, version on your phone. Uh, Luke 1, that's where we're going to be. But here, in this moment of history in Luke 1, before Jesus was born, Israel had experienced over four centuries of silence. God wasn't speaking to them. They, they grew up learning about how in the past God had spoken to them and with, through prophets and kings. And they were, as a people, they would just be, it would be normal for God to speak to them. 
But over four centuries had gone by, generations upon generations had not heard the voice of God. And, and so you would imagine like the questions that started swirling around in their minds, does God care? Does he, does he hear us? Does he want to be our God? Because they were under Roman rule, the Roman Empire was flexing their world conquering muscles over them and they were having a lot of problems. And so a good and faithful Jew of that time in the first century would have been asking the questions, God, where are you? Because your, your record is that you meet us in the midst of our lives. And so what's happening? And then an angel shows up and meets this woman, this, this teenage girl in Nazareth named Mary. And, and just so you know, like when an angel appears in scripture, like it's never all cute and cuddly angel. No, people freak out. They're like, ah! And I was like, hey, chill out. I, I come in peace, you know. Uh, and so, so they tell, Gabriel tells Mary, hey, just so you know, God's going to do an amazing work in your life. And this is what he tells, tells her, that you're going you're gonna to have a son. And, and about this son, Luke 1, 32 to 33, says this, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. Like, that's a big deal. And then she's thinking to herself, well, guess what? I'm not married. I'm engaged. But uh, I have not done the thing that requires uh, to, 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 like, have a baby. Like, I've not done that. How's that going to work? And, and Gabriel's like, just calm down. Like, the Holy Spirit's going to come on you. And, and God's going to do an amazing work through you. And, and it's just going to happen. And, and, and in the middle of that, her life is being changed. And she says, sounds good. I'm up for that. That's the Brandon version. And, and then she goes, in the middle of that conversation, she's like, how's that going to be? And, and Gabriel tells her about her relative Elizabeth, who's much older than her and is beyond childbearing years, and she's six months pregnant. And so he says, just remind yourself of Elizabeth. If you doubt that this can happen, God can do it. And so in the middle of that conversation, as soon as Gabriel left, Scripture tells us that the next thing that Mary did, we don't know how much time went on beyond this, but I think it was probably kind of an immediate thing. She packed her bags and got on her camel or something, and she traveled to go see Elizabeth. And, and when she entered Elizabeth's house, the baby inside of Elizabeth's womb, John the Baptist, leapt with excitement when Mary entered the room. And Elizabeth screamed. <laughs> she was like, blessed are you. Blessed are your, is your son. She's like, I haven't even told you the news yet. Like, it's awesome. And so she spends some time with Elizabeth at her house. And in the middle of that, at some point, she sang a song. So we're going to look at that song today. So Luke 1, starting in verse 46, I thought about singing this. But I want you all to come back next week. Okay. <laughs> Um, so I'm not going to do, I even thought about rapping it because I could do that, but I don't know that you guys are ready for that yet. Okay. Okay. Maybe in a little bit. Okay. Some of you are like, no, don't do it. All right. Verse 46, Luke one. And Mary said this, she sang it. My soul praises the greatness of the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of a servant. Surely, from now on, all generations will call me blessed because the mighty one has done great things for me and his name is holy. I find it interesting. 
think about this. Uh, we learn the other side of the story in Matthew 1, which we'll look at in a couple of weeks. But in the middle of Mary getting this news from Gabriel, she told Joseph, her fiancé, I'm pregnant. <laughs> and he's like, what? <laughs> Say what? Oh, God did it. Sure. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's what, that's what I'll tell my buddies. Sure. Uh, and so he was planning on ending the relationship. And so she leaves and goes to Elizabeth, and her response is not this expectation of fear because she's fearing what is to come with her relationship with Joseph, but instead, in the middle of this dynamic of God changing her life and maybe even ruining her relationship with her fiancé, she praises God in the middle of it. And I find that to be interesting, such a sign of faith that God was going to handle it because he said that he was going to do this for her. And so she could have responded with fear, but instead she seems to be responding with praise. And I just find that really interesting. And then she, she says she looks at herself like, she calls herself a servant, God's servant. I think that's the reason why she could look at her situation and understand that it was going to work out the way God wanted it to work out is because she saw herself not as uh, someone who had a lot of plans and was just trying to do those plans, but she looked at herself as God's servant. If God wants me to do this, then I'm up for that. And, and really, like if you think about it, she doesn't wait with fear on, on the arrival of this baby. She waits with peace and praise. And I find that to be so interesting because it goes against what this world knows as normal. Being a, being a servant, like that's just not common. It's not common to look at yourself as a servant of someone else. It's more common to think, I, I wish I had some help to do the things I want to do. But you see, she, she's going against the world's influence, the Roman influence that was going into Israel. Because to be God's servant means that everything she has Everything that she is, is not hers. It's God's. And that's really what it looks like to be a servant. Like, that kind of mindset. That even my own self, my very life, is not mine. But it's God's. And it seems to be the, the thing that she was uh, understanding her life to be. It wasn't hers, but it was God's. And so, you know, it's not, not what the world is used to. Like, with the world, like, and, and when we are not being our most holy selves, it's like, it's about my money, the things that I've done, uh, my plans. If you get in the way of my plans, get out of the way, because I'm going to push you out of the way. Uh, I do what I want. I think what I want. I pursue what I want. I do what I'm comfortable with, nothing more. So many of us, right, we know that when God calls us to things, sometimes, a lot of times, most times, he encourages us to get out of our comfort zone. And that's when God does the most work in our lives because we can see that he can meet us in the midst of the things that we can't control. Anybody know that to be true? Yeah. Uh, by the way, you can talk to me. It's okay. Um, you see, the world's ways are in direct contrast to what it means to be God's servant. Because Mary, whatever she saw, whatever she had, it was God's. Her plan, that could change in a moment, and it did. I mean, I'm sure she did not go uh, with her friends, hanging out, go to a movie and think and tell them, like, hey, what are you going to do when you grow up? Like, where are you going to go to college or whatever? No, I'm just going to give birth to the Son of God. <laughs> that probably wasn't in the cards for her. She probably didn't plan on that, right? But sometimes God just enters into our life and changes things. If God needed her body to bring the Son of God into the world, she was up for that. Her affections were for God first. 
And that's what it means to be a servant of God. We are up for whatever he wants. Whatever. And it's not to say that Mary was perfect, because we're certainly not saying that. But she was willing, and that's what God wants. And, and I want to encourage you, like, if you want to look at, you know, kind of step into this thing called God's servant, being God's servant, I want to encourage you, like, to pray this dangerous prayer. It's a bold prayer, and I think it's dangerous, too, because if you pray it, God may just do it, and then your life will just be flipped upside down. Here's the prayer. God, like every day, God, have your way with me. Holy Spirit, have your way with me. Whatever you want, wherever you want, whatever you want, however you want, every, I'm good, whatever, I'm good. Like, let's, let's go, I'm, whatever you need. If you need me to wait, good. If you need me to go, I'll go, whatever. So I would encourage you, like, if you want to be, like, God's servant and, and look at yourself in that way and walk in that, then I encourage you to pray that prayer. Um, and he will change your life. I, I, I know that to be true. Um, you see, Mary did not wait with fear, hoping for a promise, like as if she was hoping that God would show up and give her something to look forward to. No, she was, she was waiting with peace because she had a promise. She had already been given the promise, so she was waiting with peace, and that gave her a peace with her waiting. Now, I want to just make, put some flesh on this. I was thinking about this. Uh, our transition, like this whole 2018, has been full of waiting. At the beginning of the year, uh, we asked God, hey, please open up some opportunities before us. Like, we believe you're calling us to this, but please open the doors, whatever that looks like. And then we waited. And, and then we had some interviews. And then we waited. Eventually, we got to talk to the search team here uh, and, and, and visit. And we had a good time, and then we waited. We got invited back, and met all of you or many of you, and then I preached, and then we waited. And in the middle of that waiting, in the middle of that week, we decided to list our house on the market. And then we waited for offers to come in. And then we got two of them on Saturday, and we accepted one of them. And, and then we waited, because that's in order. <laughs> uh, we accepted the offer on our house before we knew that this was going to happen. So we waited. <laughs> we waited. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> and then we got the news. We, we knew that where we were going to serve. Praise God. You open, open, open arms, welcoming us. Yes. And then we waited. And we decided, you know what, we should probably look at some houses because we want a place to live. So we came on, on Monday the next day, and, and looked at some more houses, and then we put an offer on one, and then we waited, and then that offer was accepted, and then we waited, and then we packed, and then we waited, and we packed, and then we waited, and then we got here, got to see all of your beautiful faces welcoming us, and yet we were still waiting. Because it was just until last night that we became official Bluffton residents because we actually slept in our house for the first time. <laughs> yeah. And then we are waiting now because I have to put a mailbox in. So it's wonderful. So I tell you all that to tell you this. Uh, waiting is hard. Waiting is hard, but when you know what you're waiting on, it can change everything. It's a different kind of waiting to be waiting to get an offer on your house than it is to be waiting on that offer to close. You know what I'm saying? 
uh, it's a different kind of waiting to be waiting on the congregational vote results than it is to be waiting to arrive at the place who welcomed you with open arms. It's a different kind of waiting, isn't it? Your expectations are different. Because in one instance, you know, what to, you know what's coming. It's just a matter of waiting. <laughs> waiting. She goes on in verse 50. She says, His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. He has done a mighty deed with his arm. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering his mercy to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he spoke to our ancestors. Do you notice the story she's telling through this? you notice the story she's telling through this? She's not telling the story of materialism that says, hey, if you got the most toys and the most things, then you win in the end. She didn't tell the story of, of a God who is a servant of human beings and just wants you to be happy and just wants you to have what you want. That's not the story she's telling. She's not telling the story of American uh, partisan politics that says if, if your party's in power, then we're headed to utopia. But if the other party's in power, then we're headed to hell in a handbasket. That's not, the, part, that's not the, the story she told. No, she told the upside-down story of God's kingdom, of how, we will, of how he will raise up what this world has brought low. The humble, the hungry, the outcast, the downcast, the lonely, the hopeless. They all have hope because of what God has done. So he's choosing to make his promise come to life in the womb of a lowly teenage girl from Nazareth. And so, yes, she's singing of the prologue of the story that has the hero die for his enemy. And the thing is, the hero is Jesus, and the enemy in the story, it's me. It's you. That's the story she's beginning to tell as Jesus grows inside of her womb. And I love this. Uh, she's telling the story that began in Genesis, right after sin entered the picture. If, if someone ever asks you, hey, when's the first sign of God's mercy, God's grace? Because there's an Old Testament God and there's a New Testament God. Well, guess what? You know where it starts? Genesis 3, the first gospel message. This is what God said to Satan. I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. She knew the story of the promise that God was going to use a man, use a offspring of Eve to then go and defeat Satan. That yes, you're going you're gonna to have some, some sin in this world. You're going to have your way with us a little bit, but there will come a day when, when the offspring of Eve, a descendant of David, will come and he will strike your head. And yes, you will strike his heel. He will be on the cross. But on the third day, he will rise again victorious. Yeah. And so she knew that story. And so since she knew that story, she could praise him in the present because she knew that this story of what God was doing in her life right now was a continuation of that story. And it was happening. God was moving and God was speaking in the midst of their wondering, does he care for us? 
And now she knew that he was going to do it through the son growing in her womb. So tell of God's greatness. Yes, she did. So Mary waited well because she's waiting for this to happen. All the, the fears during a pregnancy, especially in that time, it was all present. It could have been there. And yet she responded to that expectation, that waiting with peace. And I think we can wait well too. We can do it too. Because like Mary, we do not wait with fear as if we're hoping for a promise. No, we wait with peace because we have a promise. There's a difference. Because we we wait for Jesus' return, knowing that one day he's going to make all things new. Knowing that we have the promise of salvation. Knowing that we have the promise of God being with us. Not just in the future, but right here and now. See, we, we know that we have the promise of God being using us while we wait. You see, God, God invites us all. Like, he, he joins us into his family through Jesus. And now we're all sons and daughters of the Most High God, which is crazy. And he's got a family business. And it's called reconciling the world to himself. And he invites us to be a part of it. He could just do it if he wanted to, but he invites us to be a part of his story. And so we have that promise. We know that we have a promise, so we don't uh, wait with fear as if we're hoping for one to come. But we live knowing that we have that in our grasp. So how can we wait well? That's the question. How can we do it? I think it involves preparing well and praising much. Preparing well and praising much. That's why I see Mary doing in this, and I want to just encourage you to ask this question. I started asking myself this question: Have have I oriented my heart toward being a servant of God? Have I have I calibrated that, or are there areas of my life and of your lives that we have been holding on to too tightly? Think about it. Like, have we surrendered our plans to Him? If he causes us to do a, a left turn where we weren't expecting it, are we going to argue with him or are we going to be like, I'm up for whatever, Lord, have your way with me? Have we surrendered our desires to him? Are we desirous of what God desires? Have we surrendered our relationship to him? Are we, are we honoring God in those things? Have we surrendered our finances to him? And we said, Lord, you've given me some stuff, and I'm ready to even, whether it's big or small, uh, I'm ready to use it for your kingdom, not mine. Have we surrendered our habits to him? You see, there's a reason Mary was able to respond to the angel Gabriel with praise. And this song is littered with Old Testament allusions back to other scriptures. There's a reason she was able to do that. Because she cultivated a habit. She had prepared herself to be used by God so that when he called she could answer. Warren Wearsby said this, Mary hid God's word in her heart and turned it into a song. So you don't hide God's word in your heart by only getting scripture in your life on Sunday when the preacher talks. Be in it every day. You see, God changed Mary's plans. Again, she was not expecting this but he changed it and she was up for it. God gave her a vision for new desires instead of like trying to be successful for her own sake or raising a bunch of kids that were gonna be, you know, doing whatever they're gonna do. No, now he gave her a vision for a desire to have the son of God come out of her body and then go and save the whole world. Like that's a different kind of thing. God gave, God, God put strain on Mary's relationship with Joseph. And you know what? I think they were probably stronger because of it. Because he did deliver them through all that. And we'll talk about that in a couple weeks. What God did uh, through an angel with Joseph. 
God used Mary despite her lack of finances and resources. She didn't have a lot as a young teenage girl. And God used Mary's habits to remind her of his word and empower her to write a song to him. So what if God did that to us? He just shows up. Hey, I'm going to use you in a mighty way to change the world, to do something that you never thought was possible, let alone probable. And this isn't to lift Mary up again, but it's to just look at her and see what God did through her. So how would we wait differently? Because friends, we do not wait with fear as if we're hoping for a promise. I want us to grasp this. We wait with peace because we have a promise. So what would it look like then to wait with peace? What would it look like to wait with peace? How would we wait differently? And I don't know what you're bringing with you into the season of Advent and as we're considering. I love Advent because what it does uh, is, is allows us to, in the hustle and bustle of the Christmas season of December, to then start to slow down, take a deep breath, and wait. And just consider the fact that maybe life will go on, whether or not we make it to the end of our errand list or to-do list, and God's got it. He's had it from the beginning. So I don't know what you're bringing with you into the season, uh, whether it's joy or pain or happiness or sadness. I don't know what it is, but God does, and, and you can bring that with you, and he will do a mighty work in you. But what if we made the most of our waiting? What if, what if we just chose to do that? What if we had peace with our waiting? We just kept going back to that. I think what would happen is we'd become peaceful inviters. Peaceful inviters. Now, let me explain. I think people who uh, have peace and, and roll with that peace throughout life they do two things. First, they go back to the gospel invitation, the scriptures that show us how much God pursues us in the midst of our trials, in the midst of our sin, in the midst of our unlovableness of our own mind. Like, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. Where he said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. The time where he said, while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. That's what people of peace do. They go back to those promises. And that then propels us as people of peace to be aware of the people around us who may not have that peace. To then have gospel invitations where we share our Jesus story with someone else. Not just of what he did 30 years ago or 20 years ago or 10 years ago or 5 years ago or a year ago, but what he's doing in your life right now where we're aware of the fact that not everyone has the peace that passes all understanding. Where we're aware of the fact that a lot of people haven't heard of Jesus, whether you think they have or not. It's easy for us to think everyone knows, especially in America where just everything's very common. You know, Jesus is freely talked about. But it propels us as we consider the fact that there are people living in our community who do not know Jesus and the meaning of why he came. And I think what that would do is it would encourage us to then uh, have conversations that may feel uncomfortable, but when we're people of peace, you know what happens? Peace speaks. It does. People will notice that in your life. And you can invite them to church. You can invite them to a conversation. And you know what? Because you have peace, because you have something they don't have, they'll listen. They may even say yes. I, I was thinking about this. Like, waiting isn't fun. Is it? Anybody think waiting's fun? I'm just so excited to wait, yeah. 
You know, like I get more excited about movies or moments where like in Braveheart, you know, they're about to go to battle. Freedom! Like, let's go, right? Like, I get excited about that. We, all, we probably all do. I mean, ladies, I don't know if you like Braveheart, but some of you probably do. Uh, and, 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 and we just get excited about those defining moments. Like, in the movie Miracle, the 1980 U.S. Olympic team, uh, hockey team, uh, this is your time. Girl, like, let's go, right? We get excited about those moments where we can just go and do and take, take charge. But you know what I realized this morning as I was just thinking about this, praying through this, and just, you know, this is the... <laughs> there is much more waiting in our lives than anything else. And you know what? I think God wants us to not waste our wait. Think about this. Uh, the Israelites, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. It's a long time. And they finally got to the moment. And Joshua had a speech just like that. Let's go. And they crossed the Jordan. And they go to a city named Jericho, and they just knew that they were supposed to go conquer, and they, that God had promised them this place, and they just had to go and trust him through it. And they were ready to storm the walls of Jericho. And you know what God told them? Walk around the city once and go sit down. And then tomorrow, I want you to do it again. The next day, I want you to do it again. The next day I want you to do it again. The next day I want you to do it again. The next day I want you to do it again. And then they get to day seven. They've been sitting around waiting. They thought that they would just go and, and, and destroy Jericho. Like, the, this is us. This is us. God's with us. Let's go. And God made them wait. And then the seventh day comes. And here's the ultimate battle plan. We're not going to flank them to the left or flank them to the right. No. We're going to march around, not one time, seven times. And, and when I tell you, I want you to scream. I want you to yell. It's going to be awesome. And they're like, what? Josh, Joshua, man, who gave you the ability to be our leader? Like, can we get somebody else new? Like a new congregational vote. I mean, like, let's go. Somebody else. This is not working out. And you know what happened? When God allowed them to just take a step back and watch what he was going to do, the walls came tumbling down. And so I think God is very much interested in what we do while we wait and our expectations in our waiting. I think he really is interested in that because those moments are preparation for those defining moments because without the waiting well, we don't ever have those defining moments where we go and do something bold for God. Mary would have never sang that song if she never was spending time in God's word, hiding God's word in her heart. She probably wouldn't have been expectant or, or up for it when Gabriel showed up. But what we do while we wait is important. And what we expect while we wait is important. And there are going to be more moments in our lives of waiting than any other kinds of moments in our lives. I mean, you're waiting for something right now. Lunch. You can be honest. We're waiting for Christmas gatherings with family. We're waiting for this and that. And every moment of our lives is filled with another moment of waiting. And so God wants us to not waste our wait and so what I want to encourage you to do is very simple. Uh, with Christmas Eve coming up, uh, I want to encourage us to look for moments where we can invite a family member, a friend, a, a stranger at Kroger uh, to Christmas Eve. Because this is the moment in, in our year where more and more people, they're not leaving, just so you know. Uh, <laughs> uh, there are more, mo this is a moment in our year where people are up for going to church. And I think 
that if you were to take the time to invite them, and then, and then not only that, but you, you take some time afterward to talk to them about what happened and what was spoken and what was saying, God will be speaking to their heart while you're speaking to them, and God may just change someone's life because you were willing to step out on faith and say, hey, would you come with me? Would you come with me? And then that will give us a purpose while we wait, and that's a good waiting. Let's pray. God, you are good and faithful, and we do not deserve your love. We do not deserve your mercy. And yet, while we made ourselves enemies of yours, you saw it fit to not destroy us, but to give us an opportunity to be rescued. God, thank you for being compassionate. Thank you for meeting us where we are, not expecting us to be perfect before we come to you. Thank you for loving us enough to send your son to come, to arrive. And Lord, as we are participating in Advent, please help us to have an awareness of the peace that you've given us, the peace that passes all understanding. And help us to be people of peace who will then go out into a watching world that is filled with anxiety and impatience they would see that we have peace while we're waiting and that would be a testimony of your goodness and grace. God, you are mighty and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And church, we all said, amen.